When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Lloyd Newcastle Mini and BMW. For the latest offers and to browse their used car stock, go to LloydMotorGroup.com. Now, let's get on with the show. Uh, well, thank you very much for coming out to the first ever live recording of the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove. Uh, this is Chris Swarth and Sean McCormick. Uh, we've got about an hour and a bit of football chat to go on. Obviously, Mark Douglas is just behind us there. And we've got Lee Ryder there, who will be coming on in the second half of this talking. Uh, one place to start, and that's the great win against Southampton on Saturday. Uh, 3-0, brilliant performance. We'll start with you, Chris. Uh, how did you sum up that performance? Well, just first of all, hello. Thank you, everyone, for coming. I'm glad it wasn't like I've listened to a few of these live podcasts before. People get introduced on, and you've got to walk on, which I'm glad wasn't what we've done tonight. But uh, in terms of the game on Saturday, I thought that it was an excellent performance. Very un-Newcastle-like in many ways, in terms of they dominated from start to finish never really looked in trouble at half time when it was 2-0 I was thinking it's looking a bit too easy at some point in the second half I think Newcastle are going to make this more difficult for themselves they never did Southampton contributed to that to a certain extent uh, they were atrocious really and I really would fear for them if I was a Southampton fan but from a Newcastle point of view I don't think Newcastle let them play the, the goal early on really helped lifted the crowd lifted the team took the pressure off them a little bit and really was a huge result and with other results going their way over the weekend heading into this three week break that we're now in things are looking a lot more rosy than maybe they necessarily would have been a week ago and obviously beforehand Sean there was the, the big display with the word United out on the Gallagher and that's something the message that Rafa Benitez has kind of put through for the, since the start of the season is about the club being United something that Southampton weren't really at all just like uh, what Chris said before hello and thanks for coming first of all um, yeah that was it, isn't it? Rafa's always calling the fans to stay united, even through the hard times. Obviously, there was a period where they hadn't won since October. That's been rectified now. Two home wins and the bounce. The feel-good factor is back to St James's Park. You look at the results in the second half of the season. Newcastle are going really strong now. I think there's someone put on Twitter um, this morning you look at the results since game week 19. Newcastle are actually seventh in the league in that sort of league table, um, which kind of emphasises how well the club are playing now. Um, <clears throat> The fans really got on, really got behind the team on Saturday. Um, they were like the 12th man, just like they were against Man United. 
And really, Saturday's game was a lot more important for the fans to be behind the team. It was against a relegation rival, against a team that really we expected to beat at home. We needed to beat at home. You look at the, look at the, the table now, Newcastle are five points clear of the bottom three, four points clear of their opponents. It was a lot more important, you know, to beat a relegation rival, so they lost points as well. But yeah, Rafa's call for United front, and that seems to be what's happening at the moment. And it's quite interesting because when you say this is a must-win game, managers and players often say, oh no, it's just another game, it's three points, there's more to come. But in the programme, Lasalle said, you know, we need to win. Benitez said virtually the same, we're going away for three weeks, but we need to go in with three points. So it, it was kind of a different message to most managers send out. They knew the importance of that game. Yeah, and I think you saw the contrast with Pellegrino on Friday at his press conference suggested that both teams would be happy with the draw, which was never really going to be the case for Newcastle. Benitez, as soon as the Liverpool game was over, came out and said, look, this was the way we played in this environment at Anfield. We're going away from home. We will attack Southampton. He promised that they would. And they went and did it first minute, 63 seconds in, scored, uh, went ahead and never relented from there. There could have been two, three, four up even before they got the second and third goals themselves. It could have been a lot more comfortable than it was. It wasn't flattened by an extent. And the Newcastle players have targeted, and Benitez have targeted these games. Their record against teams in and around them is exceptional. They've struggled against the top-half teams. Apart from beating Man United, they haven't beaten any of them. But you look where Newcastle are now, uh, 13th in the table, looking far more comfortable than they were. And they've only, they've only lost to one team below them in the table. Uh, Huddersfield, who they're still yet to play at home, so can end the season with a positive record against as well. And It's about pinpointing those games. Going forward, long-term, Rafa Benitez wants to be able to compete in every game and win every game. But this season, he knew the limitations of his squad. He's known the limitations that are there. And the players themselves know these games and they've got to perform in. And they follow the plan to the letter. And that is why they have come out on top far more than the other team in these relegation six-pointers. And were Newcastle that good or was Southampton just that bad? I think it's a little bit of both, but I wouldn't want to take anything away from Newcastle. Newcastle took the initiative, went at them. Absolutely exceptional first goal. The ball from John Joe Shelby, someone who we didn't even think was going to play. Rafa played that one well on Friday because he, he didn't really see either way. He sort of intimated that it was unlikely Shelby was going to feature and I think that was partly because Pellegrino and him know each other so well and he wanted to almost hold that back as his joker card. And once Shelby played ball over the top that identified the centre-halves, didn't like that directness Kennedy, I mean, that first touch with his chest it was, was exceptional and to, to then turn and, and finish. And from that moment on, Newcastle just went at Southampton and really, really caused them problems. Yes, Southampton's second half, it was, as Jermaine Genius said, to a certain degree, disgraced the players, weren't interested, they looked like they'd given up on their manager. But Newcastle made them look like that. This is a this is a team who hadn't conceded many goals. I don't think Southampton lost in six on the road, hadn't won many, but they, didn't, they don't concede many. And, Newcastle could have had four, five, six, and that was because they they went for that game, really targeted it, and after uh, there was not one player I could have criticised on Saturday. I thought everyone deserved praise, particularly the, the two midfielders and centre backs. And what a difference Candy has made since joining on loan from Chelsea. Well, that's it. Yeah, I think it was um, Mark Schwarter was saying on Golden Sunday yesterday. Kennedy took the challenge to come to Newcastle. He didn't need to take that challenge, but he wanted to go and test himself, play regularly in the Premier League. Playing for a team that will test his character, and Newcastle went a bit of a predicament when he joined. You know that we they were in a relegation scrap. They still are in a relegation scrap. Kennedy's really took the ball by the horns, and he's he's, he's been fantastic since he joined. He's given Newcastle a real impetus going forward. He's confident. He's confident on the ball. He's, he's skillful. 
and it, it gives her a different a different outlet. I think I think in the first half of the season there was you know, Matt, Matt Ritchie's got a lot of, a lot of strengths, but he doesn't really beat a man that much. Kennedy, you know, he's 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 got that in his locker, and I think he's been a fantastic addition. I think you looked at the game on Saturday in Southampton. There were you look at how much money they've spent in comparison to Newcastle. It must be about 45, 50 million difference when you actually look at the start of the 11s. I think Wesley Hooch cost more than the cells and the Jean combined in the centre half, and he looked really, really poor. Um, it kind of reminded me a bit of when Newcastle were uh, in the 15 16 season under Steve McLaren. They had a lot of good individuals, good international players with plenty of experience, but they didn't really play as a team, didn't really follow a set plan. You look at it on paper, that team is probably stronger than the team we have now, but they follow Rafa's game plan, the letter of the law. Everybody knows their jobs, they execute it brilliantly at times, and I think that's what it kind of reminded me of on, uh, on Saturday, because Southampton, as I said before, they've got a lot of good players, and Amina, they paid a lot of money for in, 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 in the summer. He gave the ball away quite a few times midfield, really got dominated by Shelby and Diarmi in there, who are starting to strike up a real partnership. Um, Ryan, Ryan Bertrand probably going to win the World Cup. He, he he was really poor on the weekend. Cedric's won the Euros with Portugal. He didn't impress. So I think that you know Newcastle as a team, yes, on paper they don't they haven't got the, the players that the Southampton have, the likes of Stoke have, but they are putting performances and they're getting the wins that hopefully keep them up. Would you share that sentiment? I would 100 percent share that sentiment. I think that with Newcastle, what is so good to see is that unlike under Steve McLaren. You, and this isn't just having to go see McLaren a few years before that as well you were never quite sure what Newcastle's game plan was week on week the players I think sometimes were unsure as to what they were meant to do the players maybe were even given too much responsibility to do what they wanted the likes of Musa Sissoko basically playing when he wanted to and where he wanted to at certain times when Rafa came in he changed all of that it has been different and this season you can see Modi Army now over the last six weeks has suddenly transformed into what look who looks like a very good Premier League footballer. A few months ago, he couldn't even get in the team, but he's been given a run. He's been told exactly what his job needs to be, and as a destructive force in the middle, I think there's, there's very few players in the Premier League at the minute who are doing what he's doing. He's got to keep doing it consistently. He's clearly full of confidence at the moment, but he's striking that balance with John Joe Shelby. And I just think that when whenever all this this season, there's always been a part of me, no matter how much Newcastle struggled, just thought they're going to be alright because you just look when you sit in a room with Rafa Benitez and when you listen to what he says you always know that he's got a plan it may not necessarily always work they've gone they've gone to places and, and got beaten at times very rarely turned over other than during the nine game winless run but you just know that, that what he's doing it's the long game the Man City away game the Liverpool away game there were games that he realistically knew it was to keep the goal difference down now Dougie uh, Mark Douglas tweeted on Saturday when I tweeted about the goal difference saying that was like Carol Vorderman he clearly wasn't impressed by that tweet but, but to Rafa Benitez that is like another point Newcastle now have the best goal difference in the bottom 12 teams in the Premier League if it comes down to goal difference at the end of the season Newcastle will probably survive they want it to be more comfortable than that but Benitez recognises that, that defensively Newcastle need to be strong they've got the joint best defence in the bottom 10 of the Premier League they've actually got the joint third best attack in the bottom 10 of the Premier League so it's not that they're defensive and Benitez really doesn't like it when people suggest they are defensive all the time he likes to think they're compact and in certain games like against Man City they were but there's a plan to it all and in the games they've needed to do they attacked they attacked West Ham away they attacked Stoke away they attacked uh, Crystal Palace at home albeit they didn't play particularly very well they attacked West Ham at home and they attacked Southampton at home and they've come out in all of those games with victories and uh, 
obviously the sales gets a lot of applauded. Obviously, he's been fantastic. Well, ask for a show of hands just a second whether we think he should be in the next England squad. But first of all, uh, Florian Lejeune was fantastic on Saturday, and he's been fantastic the past few games. And you can kind of see why he was one of Benitez's first choices this summer. Yeah, it, it was a bit of a difficult few first few months for Lejeune. I think the injury in the first game set him back a little bit, and in terms of not being fully fit when he then came back into the team, adapting to the Premier League, the pace of it, the difference at centre-half that he would necessarily have playing in uh, in Spain and in France, and it, it took him a little bit of time, but the reason Benitez likes Lejeune or a player like that is he, he wants a ball playing centre-back in there. For all the Celsius qualities, he, he isn't really the most comfortable in possession. Lejeune, you can see, with left or right foot, he can play either of those two centre-back positions can play that diagonal pass, can can take it off the goalkeeper who now can also play football himself, which is something that Benitez wanted. And it just gives him a bit more of a dimension. I have to say, I also think Lejeune's a very big attacking weapon who Newcastle probably underuse. When you put the ball in the box towards Lejeune in, in the opposition box, he more often than not will win the ball. And being alongside Lascelles has clearly helped him. Lascelles has gone from strength to strength. And it's having that competition there as well. You know Kieran Clark can come in the team and Bemba can't even get on the bench at the moment. Dummett can play centre-back. It's all over the pitch. You've now got this this competition. Dwight Gale's improved since Slomani's come in, even though we haven't yet to see Slomani. Hopefully, in the next few weeks, he'll eventually appear, because I think he's only played seven of the last eight games to come play against Leicester. Uh, so it'll be nice to see him at some point. But just the mere introduction of another striker has helped raise the levels, and it's it's the same all over the pitch, like at centre-back. So just a, a show of hands, who thinks Lascelles should be named in the England squad? Oh. Pretty much now, everybody. I mean, I know Sean's a big fan of Lascelles. I mean, we all are, but especially flying that England flag. Do you think he's going to be named in the England squad? I'm not sure he'll be named in the England squad. It sounds like Southgate prefers James Tarkovsky from Burnley, who, to be fair, has had a very good season. Um, but, you know, I think that Lascelles, the, the difference he makes for Newcastle when he's in the team is frightening. You look, look at the record running, he didn't play, he missed nine games, and yet there's only one point Newcastle's got this season where Lascelles haven't been on the pitch. The leaders, the, you know, the leadership he brings to the back is brilliant. You know, he keeps the defence together. He gives everyone a real lift. One of the youngest captains in the league, but he's indicative of what Rafa Benitez has got in this team. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but they've all got a bit of character. You look at Shelby at the weekend, touch and go wherever he was fit enough to play. Rafa Benitez even said that he played through the pain barrier. He gave him the choice, but Shelby knuckled down and played and set up two of the goals and was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, Paul Dummett got a bit of cheer from the crowd and he started to win round a lot of the man out your fans who, you know, weren't quite sure in him. That's another... He's another one who's shown a lot of character recently. Dwight Gale, a lot of criticism at the start of the season, but he's been brilliant the last few weeks. Everyone saw the run he made for the goal on um, on Saturday when he ran from our six-yard box right the way through and set Kennedy's goal. And I think, you know, the cells really shows the character of the team that's running right through this spine of the team and Rafa trusts everyone who's got on the pitch and, you look at the last few few weeks, the team hasn't really varied that much. He's starting to settle on, on a start on an eleven more or less and he speaks about a craft and doesn't he that he, he trusts these players, he knows they'll come out and do the job, he'll know he'll follow his plan and um, it's starting to show off on the pitch. Just to pick up on the Cells and Shelby points, I, I fully understand why people are backing them for England and, and from their own personal point of view I can very much imagine that they would like to be in, in the squad this week and also going into the summer. But from a purely selfish Newcastle United point of view I think it's it's in the best interest if they weren't selected this week. Look, you wouldn't want to take that honour away from them if they were, but they would get an extra two weeks to work with Rafa Benitez heading into that Huddersfield game. Even if they were selected in England squad on Thursday, or they're likely to go to the World Cup, 
possibly as fringe players, but probably not as first choice. And maybe if some of the players are out at the moment who are injured would come back into that squad. So I think their time may come in the future, maybe next season. But for now, from a purely selfish Newcastle United point of view, I'm sure Rafa Benitez is hoping they're not named this week and that he's able to use them because they're going to be crucial during the last eight games of the season if Newcastle are to finish off the job, which they're getting towards doing of survival. I mean, you wouldn't begrudge themselves going in the squad. Obviously, he's had a fantastic season. I think Gareth Selke is, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, he's got to settle back three of Gary Cahill, John Stones and Harry Maguire. After that, you might be picking Tarkovsky, but you'd feel to see a more informed English centre-half. The Cells even said after the Manchester United game, you look at Chris Small and Phil Jones, and at times they were looking and thinking, they didn't know what they were doing, they didn't know what they were doing on the ball, they were panicking, and these are experienced defenders who have won plenty of trophies, got plenty of caps, and the Cells have shown that maturity in Newcastle this season where he is the leader, um, and as I say, he wouldn't be good to him to call up, Michael Keane's been in there um, the last couple of seasons, he's had a really poor season at Everton, so... You look at it from that point of view, and the sellers has got to be in the top five, definitely. Definitely. And just on Dwight Gale, he had an excellent game off the ball. You know, he makes the runs, and he's really all round game has really improved. But he did miss two glorious chances on on Saturday. Do you think that will play on his mind, or what do you think? You know, we won three 0 You know, everyone is kind of going to forget that. It will play on his mind to a certain extent. He's a, he's a striker. What he wants to do is score goals, but. Rafa Benitez will have made clear to him that he's very impressed with him over the last few weeks in general, what he's done. I felt sorry for him at Liverpool because maybe it didn't come across on the TV, but up, up in the press box at Anfield, me and Lee had a, had a perfect view and there was times where there was no one within 20, 30 yards of Gale and he worked so hard um, but just didn't get the ball. And I thought of Bournemouth, who was one of the best all-round displays I've seen from him. Yes, he scored twice, but just in terms of the way he ran the lines, he bullied some of the defenders at times in terms of just holding them off, showing strength that I didn't necessarily know he had. Uh, bringing teammates into play, just clever runs all round. And on Saturday, I thought that it was similar. He was he was dangerous all the way through. Diarmé was winning the ball, and it was Gale who was reacting quickest. The run for the second goal, and also the vision for the second goal, because I, I fully thought he, he was going to shoot, and I don't think anyone would have necessarily begrudged him if he had. But he disguised it so well. He took two defenders and the goalkeeper out, and for a striker to do that and not be selfish, but realise that the team needed that. And, Yes, he would like a few more goals. He's only got five so far this season. He would have liked more than that, but 28 in, in, in two seasons, well, not even fully two seasons yet, I think he's more than paid back that £10 million. And uh, the, as I say, the, the arrival of Slomani has driven him on. He was behind uh, Hossley early in the season. He even fell behind Mitrovic at one point. Um, and obviously Mitrovic is now on loan at Fulham, which we may get on to him. I'm not sure. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, that's a completely different issue or so. But for Dwight Gale himself, yes, it'll be nice to see him score goals in the next few weeks, but his, his all-round game's improved so much, and I think that that's down to the work that the coaching staff and Rafa Benitez have done with him on the training ground, and for his hard work as well, putting in the effort to, to try and rectify that. And to another January arrival, you mentioned Samari there, but Martin Dubrefka, I mean, on Saturday, it was great to hear him you know, talking and ordering and barking at the defence. Even, I think it was the 80th minute, and the ball comes through, and he's, he's, he's telling you know his defenders to push out you know and you feel confident when he's coming to get that ball when it's played to his feet you don't think it's, it's going to hit a defender or he's he's going to skew it into the into the crowd he just looks like a, a top class keeper I mean you, you think he made his debut against Manchester United no prior Premier League experience a lot of people would have been daunted by that I think it was in the fifth minute of that game he came out really confidently collecting the ball and you just thought he just exudes the confidence to his back line which be fair, Carl Dahl and Rob Elliott I think are both decent keepers, but at times they look shaky. That then breeds shakiness into the defence, so on and so forth. 
Dubravka so far, he's been absolutely brilliant, hasn't he? He's made a number of key saves. His hands look very good. He's good on the ball, which is something Rafa Benitez is really keen on, isn't it? He spoke a lot of when, when Newcastle played Manchester City in the game where you know Carragher and Neville really criticised Rafa's tactics. But he was saying that it's almost impossible to defend against Manchester City because Edison becomes like that 11th man and how do you mark the goalkeeper? I mean, he is so good, he plays those crossfield passes. I'm not saying Mark DeGrafka's uh, distribution's like that, but it's, it, it's, it's the closest thing he's got in terms of the three keepers he's got at the club. He is really calm on the ball. Um, and Bissell's, speaking after them, the first Manchester United game said, you know, he came into the training, we didn't know what to expect, and straight away he was barking us all around. There was, there was respect, probably the wrong word, but, you know, there was, not, there was no, like, he wasn't shy of, you know, telling those players who have been in the club for a while that what what he wanted them to do, how he wanted to organise them. I think that's a brilliant trade for it's a it's a massive trade for a goalkeeper. It's brilliant that he's coming, it's brilliant that he's hit the ground running. I think that, you know, if Newcastle signed him permanently this summer, I know he's only played a few games so far, but he's already more than in that permanent transfer. It's a different dimension that he brings as well. I think if you look at the goalkeepers, Rafa Benitez was initially looking at last summer. Uh, Pepe Reina would have been his first choice if possible but I think he always realised that one was unlikely Willy Caballero he thought was going to come in on a free transfer obviously didn't happen and he ended up at Chelsea and other goalkeepers like that they looked at Ariola at PSG for a while they've looked at a few others um, Casilla at um, Real Madrid as well and what he wants is he, he wants the goalkeeper who almost becomes that 11th man as, as, as Sean's saying um, someone who will help out with the defence and that's one thing Dubravka keeps saying whenever he interviews he says look I, I'm there to, to help I want to offer help to the back four I want the ball whenever possible I want to be vocal with them because that's what I'm there for and you can just see the way Newcastle's played in the last few weeks it's changed a little bit they've now got that extra man it's an extra dimension the centre-backs can split a little bit more the midfielders can change where they're going to be Lejeune looks to be blossoming in that as well because he's getting the ball in more comfortable positions and it's not just long ball going forward. I think that the that Darlow and Elliot have done very well, they're very good shot stoppers, but it's just it's about A increasing the competition and B giving them another option, which is what Dubravka has done. So many good performances on Saturday. Just the one man who stood out for you, your man of the match? Well, it's a difficult one because I, I thought that there was, as I said before, some very, very good displays. Um, I think Shelby just brought something a, a little bit different in terms of what they hadn't had against Liverpool. Completely different game, completely different environment, but just just showed that when he is on song, Newcastle are a far better team when he is playing well. So I think I'd go for John Joe Shelby, although Diarmi deserves praise in there as well because he allowed Shelby to do what he, he likes to do going forward. Enjoy. Shelby would have to be up there, he, he was brilliant, he set up two goals, Kennedy impressed obviously scoring two goals, I know it's easy to pick the man who scored two goals, but the impact he's had on the club, not just in that game, has been fantastic. The last couple of weeks he's been quiet because he's, he's been asked to do a job by Rafa Benitez, obviously play more as a left wing back against Liverpool, that shows his versatility and also shows his willingness you know, to, to do whatever Rafa wants him to do. Um, Mo Diarmi's improvement in the last few weeks has been absolutely brilliant, I think him and Shelby really complement each other. The army is explosive, but at times he breaks up the play. He, he, you know, there's a couple of times where he come, he made some brilliant challenges in the last few weeks, where he's really shown his pace. He's got back there, made a vital challenge, breaking up the play, starting off the play again, starting off the attack from the back, and I think he's been absolutely fantastic in the last few weeks. But about to pick someone would be John Joe Shelby. Fantastic. And just a show of hands, do we all think Newcastle are going to survive this season? So we're all, we're all, we're all confident. Well, this might make the next five minutes slightly irrelevant. Then, but I mean, the relegation fight. Newcastle do look quite comfortable sitting in 13th. Had they lost on Saturday, things might have been, well, would have been looking a bit more nervous. I mean, are you under the same impression Newcastle will be okay? 
Yeah, I mean, as I said before, I've always felt all season, even during that long uh, windless run, which was very difficult to report on at times because you just couldn't really see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. I had became almost blind faith at times because you just think it's, it isn't turning, but eventually it did. Um, and they, were, they did struggle during that period without Lascelles and with a few injuries when Marino first got injured. There were some difficult times there, but I think Newcastle, what they lack in quality and top flight experience, they more than make up for, certainly with the manager and also just with, as cliched as it might sound, the, the, the togetherness and understanding within the squad. They know what their jobs are, they know what they have to do and they've found a way to learn how to win the games you need to win. As I looked at Stoke on... Uh, New Year's Day when I was there and I thought that they reminded me of the 2015 Newcastle side that just they thought that they would they would get out of it they thought they were better players than that Shaqiri at times just wandering about thinking they couldn't really be bothered on that day you don't see that in this Newcastle side yes sometimes they might get beaten quite comfortably certainly by some of the top teams but it's not for a lack of effort it's just that the other teams are better than them and they may go up for that to a certain extent. I look at Southampton, I really would fear for them if I was a Southampton fan. The fixtures they've got, the performance on Saturday, one win in 17, I think it is. Crystal Palace probably will ju- ju- just be all right because I think Zaha will give them something a little bit different. West Ham, club in civil war by the looks of things at the moment, on and off the pitch, real issues. And I just think that Newcastle, that there's now a focus, a belief. Um, that win was huge. If they hadn't won against Southampton, certainly if they'd lost, it would have been a very long three weeks. That result would have festered. But now there's positivity. They can go to Spain this weekend, play three 45-minute thirds as, as they're going to play in, the, in this friendly, uh, get a bit of a run out for the players who haven't had that much football recently. Some of them will then go off on international duty. But the focus for the next three weeks will just be on that Huddersfield game. If they win that, then I think they're only one win away because I think 38 points will be enough. Interesting you mentioned West Ham there. Obviously, what happened over the weekend was farcical, to say the least. A lot of people ask me on Twitter, how come maybe the national media kind of understand West Ham's plight or seem to understand West Ham's plight? Yeah, Newcastle, peace, their supporters peacefully protest. We get a bit more flack for it. Well, I think part of the issue is that quite a lot of uh, national journalists are West Ham fans or, or based in London. I know quite a few of them who are, so they actually do understand exactly what's going on. They've, they've either grown up in it or, or immersed in it every day. Um, sometimes I think it can be overblown how Newcastle can be portrayed in the national media. I think sometimes it isn't necessarily as negative or is they aren't, Newcastle fans aren't necessarily as forgotten in terms of what they are fighting for. But it's certainly when you compare to what's happened with West Ham, there is that disparity. And I, I think part of it is just because... That Newcastle are so far up in the, in the northeast for, for, from from in London. It's a, it's a different club. It's it's seen as as always being nearly men, and, and that uh, they're never happy with anything Newcastle fans because they expect to win the league every year, which we all know isn't true. But there is that perception from some quarters. I think it's more almost from uh, fans in other areas than necessarily journalists and, and some pundits maybe who 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 probably shouldn't be given as much airtime as they are. But in the world that we are with twenty four seven media and TV and, and, and online blogs and whatnot, you will get a lot of this said, but uh, Newcastle fans are, are, right, are rightly protested to a certain degree in terms of what's happened over the last 10-11 uh, years under Mike Ashley, the club hasn't moved forward, it, it's gone backwards if anything, um, there's no real progress, two relegations, uh, the only thing really to look forward to is having Rafa Benitez in charge and making sure he stays in charge, and, and that is so sad for a club who could and probably should be in that top six mix at the moment. There were before, 
Uh, they've missed the opportunity to be there now and it's going to take a heck of a lot to get up to to the likes of, of Tottenham Hotspur Spur, who 10-15 years ago you'd probably have considered were behind Newcastle. Do you think Rafa Benitez will be here uh, next season? I do, I think it all depends on survival. I think he's talked, he's spoken a lot in the press hasn't he, he's spoken to us about the, the new TV money that will be coming in next summer. He hasn't had that luxury this season, so in the in the summer markets they weren't able to compete with the likes of Stoke, the likes of Southampton we've mentioned, who spent a lot more money than Newcastle. This summer that TV windfall will be coming in, so you'd like to think it'll be a bit more of a level playing field. Rafa's spoken about, about that, he expects to be more confident in the summer market. Time will tell whether that will happen, but he's confident, so until you know until that happens it remains to be seen, but you've got to back Rafa and you've got to trust his word that he thinks that there is a bright future coming for Newcastle. They will be at the goal for challenge for the top eight places, which I think is ultimate aim in the league. Fantastic. And you think Newcastle will be will be safe? Yeah, I think they will. I think it's a it's a cliche, but as I said before, they've got a team full of character. They've got a team who want to be here. Yeah, that's I think that's a massive thing. They want to play for the club. They want to, they want to play for the fans. And Rafa Benitez has always maintained that confidence as well. The few times I've spoken to him, he's always said even the, even the times where Newcastle was struggling for a win. That he was always confident Newcastle would steal. It would be a big triumph for Newcastle if they stayed up. But he was always confident they would. He was confident in his players. He was confident that they were training well. He was confident they were following his plan. And he thought in the end it would all turn out all right. And it's looking that way now. After the win on Saturday, obviously five points clear relegation. It looked like it's going to be all right. And Rafa's Rafa's belief in the team is 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 is, is taking hold now. Fantastic. And you have three to go down. Well, West Brom are gone, aren't they? And I don't think anyone will have much sympathy of Alan Pardew up here. Um, but that wasn't his. That, that wasn't like his teams no. on Saturday. Apparently, they don't give up regularly. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> we all know that's not the case. But <laughs> I think um, Southampton looked really, really poor at the weekend. And I think if they don't make a change from Mauricio Pellegrini, I think that well, the last chance they can do that really is that after this international break. If they don't make a change, I really fear for them. And I think one of either Stoke. I still think Huddersfield might might drop down there. Yeah, they've got a lot of character, and you know, it's a bit like Newcastle. On paper, their team isn't as good as the others, but I just feel like they might they might well drop down there in the end. Chris, your three. Well, just before that, didn't you do a predictor last week where you had Brighton still going down? Was that was that right? Yeah, Sean. Was not you? Yeah, it was probably me. <laughs> But anyway, you're free to go no, down. Quite well. I think I'm <laughs> quite comfortable brain, so I don't think it'll be brain somehow. Um, I think I think West Brom are gone. I've thought that for a few weeks, um, and they just don't. There wasn't the bounce that you would expect from a new manager. Pardew didn't get that, and if he doesn't have the initial impact, he, he very rarely uh, then turns a club around. In terms of other clubs, Stoke, I, I think are are in trouble. They're probably going beat Man City in the next half an hour, and then uh, prove me wrong there. But I think that. What I saw from them on New Year's Day, I just don't think they've got the fight there. I think that there's, all, there's not the acceptance that they're in a relegation battle. And I think Southampton as well. I really do fear for Southampton after Saturday and just looking at their fixtures coming up. And I don't think the players are, are sold on, on Pellegrino and I don't think they've got the, the togetherness to stay up. So I, I'd fear for those three. But West Ham as well are falling like a stone. So they're, they're one who I'd say would be an outside bet to go down as well. Fantastic. Well, that's it for the first half. Just going to have a quick five, ten minute break and then we'll have Lee Ryder and Mark Douglas answer questions on Rafa's future and uh, the takeover. Now, just a quick message from our sponsors. Are you looking for a brand new or used Mini or BMW? Then look no further than Lloyd Newcastle. They have an impressive range of all the latest Mini and BMW models, complete with the latest tech to keep you connected, entertained and safe on the roads, such as the Mini Countryman, Mini's most spacious model, 
with optional all-four four-wheel drive technology or BMW xDrive, an intelligent all-wheel drive system offering a new dimension to driving enjoyment. With a whole range of optional features available, including head-up display, mini-connected, sat-nav, headed seats, parking sensors, stereo upgrades and more, you can really make your Mini or BMW your own. Or if you're looking for a used car to be proud of, they have over 600 approved used vehicles across the Lloyd Group available with competitive finance packages. For the latest offers and to see their used car stock, visit www.lloydmotorgroup.com or why not just pop in? You can find them off Barrett Road just up from St James's Park. Lloyd Newcastle, the way it should be. Welcome back, I uh, hope you're all refreshed. I'm now joined by Lee Ryder and Mark Douglas and we're going to start where, with uh, the latest on the takeover or the takeover that hasn't yet happened. Lee, what is the latest that you understand regarding Newcastle United and possible new owner? Well, good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming. Um, a few years in here. Feel free to have a few more drinks if you want to liven it up a bit. <laughs> um, no, the takeover, as far as I'm concerned, it hasn't gone away. It, it's been parked. I think the people who are trying to buy the club could see that there was some sort of turbulence in the background. It was seemed to be affecting the team as well. We had that eight-game run where they got one point and they were in danger of relegation, which would have pretty much spoiled it for everybody. Uh, but they're, they're very much interested in you know, still buying the club. The price has been an issue, as we all know. Mike Ashley, not the easiest guy to deal with, as we all know. Um, he's basically going to stick to his guns in, in terms of the price. But you know, for me, I mean, Amanda Staveley seems to want to give Rafa exactly what he wants in terms of you know, give him that kitty, give him that bit of freedom, give him the, the chance to really build a football club. And that hasn't happened. And I think, as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty much time for Mike Ashley to sell up and go. And I think, I don't, I don't know, do most people agree with that in this room? Have you had enough of him yet? <laughs> you know, miss. Uh, Mark, I mean, obviously the TV deal wasn't as much as Mike Ashley had expected. A lot of people said, well, maybe he's waiting for that to come in and then that might justify his price. You think he's been stung a little bit by by, by the price? Uh, thanks for coming, by the way, everybody. I'll just add, add mine to that. We, Chronicle proving we can try and do it on a cold, wet Monday night. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think the thing about the TV deal. By the way, they have to turn the level down when I when I speak. That probably tells you everything. There. I think the thing about the TV deal um, is that it, it's the only way, really, at the moment, that Newcastle and United are making any money. Mike Ashley isn't doing anything to give Newcastle United the kind of competitive edge that they, that, that they need. So that TV deal is absolutely critical to Newcastle United. But what I think people have kind of missed about the last TV deal um, and what the potential for this one as well is that it actually completely wiped out any advantage that Newcastle United had over kind of the teams from about sixth down to about 18th in the Premier League. It knocked out the advantage that they had over the likes of Leicester. Before then, Newcastle knew that they could go into a, a sort of the market in France and places like that and, and basically put more money down on the table than the likes of Leicester, the likes of even West Ham and Bournemouth could ever think of putting down. And that's why they got players like Kabai, that's why they got players like Cissé, because they knew that the other teams couldn't go to the level that Newcastle United could. Then the TV de deal happened. Newcastle didn't see coming the fact that Leicester, uh, Bournemouth and those kind of sides as well could suddenly pay the same money that Newcastle could and Newcastle didn't have the geographical advantage of those teams. They're close to Manchester, close to London, places like that. And I think the Newcastle were effectively, I mean, I've used the phrase before, an analogue team in a digital age. They were doing things that 
you know, in the in the kind of mid two thousands, you know, they didn't need to sell the club. This next TV deal has basically just maintained the status quo. So Newcastle are going to have to do something better than what they're doing at the moment if they're going to if they're going to ever get back to the level that they were at before. I've seen Wolves today talking about putting a fifty thousand stadium. Um, in, in Wolverhampton, you know, those kind of competitive advantages that we thought Newcastle United had before, they haven't got any more. And that's why you need a new owner, really, because at the moment, the way Newcastle are going, they have a lot of advantages because they've got Rafa Benitez, they've got a massive stadium, they've got all those things. But those things are being eroded um, season by season. And that's my concern for Newcastle moving forward. Do you see Rafa Benitez securing Newcastle's Premier League status and then Amana Stavely coming back in? see it in June, July and securing the club or do you think we might be stuck with Mike Ashley for a tad longer? I don't think she's going to up a bit. Um, I, I've never really thought that. I think that she'll come back in with maybe a, a mo- maybe a, a kind of modified bid. Um, interestingly, the other people who were supposedly interested in Newcastle United, nothing's materialised at all there. We're told that there are other people in the data room at Newcastle United. I kind of believe they're, waste, they're, they're wasting Newcastle's time. In fact, there's a really interesting article about um, about one guy who's been, um, you know, nosing around uh, Newcastle United. And if you can go onto the New York Times and search for a guy called, um, and what's Blackbridge Sports, I think it was really interesting, uh, you know, to see stuff written about people who are trying to take over clubs. And basically, it was being alleged really there that there's a lot of talk but not a lot of action. And you know, I'm not saying that that's that's what's happened with Newcastle, but I think there's a lot of people who Mike Ashley's saying they're interested to try and drive the price up, but they're not interested. The only person that's put a bid down is, is Amanda Staveley. So if he doesn't sell to Amanda Staveley, it's going to be another year of Mike Ashley. It's going to be a, potentially the last year of Rafa Benitez's contract. He, I think he's got lucky this year. I think he's got really lucky that the division isn't that good. Um, and that he's got an extremely good manager who he's done his best to alienate. Does he fancy spinning that roulette wheel again again next season? Well, if he's got any sense whatsoever, he'll either change the way that he looks at the football club or potentially himself because I just can't see Newcastle doing this again year after year after year because it's just it's just too much of a risk. I mean, and that's the case. I mean, he's, he's gambled in January. He's not gone out and signed anybody permanently. He's gone out and got loans. We've got Slomani who, you know, Rafa knew he wasn't fully fit when he signed him on the last... The, the de- deadline, uh, the, the transfer window. He's gambled at the moment. It's paying off. The cast is thirteenth, but it's it's not that big of a gap to the bottom. And uh, you know, Mike Ashley's living living a very kind of risky risky life there. Well, he is, but he's done that from the very beginning. Really, he's 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 taken a gamble. Uh, the only reason that Newcastle for me or where they are is because of Rafa Benitez. He's had that uh, that judgment. I think he's had three loans in this window. Two of them have been absolutely brilliant. One of them hasn't played, unfortunately. Um, hopefully, we might even see him before the end of the season uh, if we're lucky. But I think, really, you know, I, I feel sorry for Rafa. I really do. I feel sorry for the for the fans because you know, all of a sudden you have this world class manager on board. Uh, he's you know, tactics are first class. He's one hundred percent committed to the job, unlike you know previous managers where they've just used it for their own needs. And you know, for me, I think it's it's just a waste having Rafa here because unless you're going to back him, then they're not going to move forward. But hopefully, TV money may come in. They'll they'll sign a few players in the summer, but it's never going to live up to its full potential unless you give them the open checkbook, go out and and push on that way. And that money's going to have to. 
come from uh, other sources because it's clearly not going to be Mike Ashley. Do you think it's going to be hard for uh, Man of State Mike Ashley to, to strike a deal, especially after how the last round of negotiations ended with Mike Ashley accusing State of being a time waster? Man of State seemed like putting two sorry, bids. It's source close to Mike Ashley. Source close to Mike Ashley, sorry. Definitely wasn't Mike Ashley. <laughs> Burn bridges, or do you think they can come back together in the summer and say, "Well, okay, let's 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 put our heads together and, and strike our deal." Well, I, I personally think there might be there might be an increased bid, to be honest, because from what we're being told, I mean, I think there's a little bit of interest. It's the Rubin brothers, isn't it? Who, you know, I think, I think there was a story saying they had nothing to do with it, but you know, there's been previous deals and on other business fronts where. You know they have worked together well, so I think they are still in the background. And of course, they've bought buildings in Newcastle as well. So there's that that link. The link is there. They, they know the area well. I mean, they're just probably trying to get the best price. Uh, you don't. You just don't want it, them to be relegated. This is Acast recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. ...for this to happen and uh, I think Rafa will keep them up. But after that, as you say, it's going to be roulette. What is the best price? What would you say is the better price if you could put a price on it? Anything that gets rid of the current owner, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. so. uh, Mark, I mean, obviously we've had just over 10 years of Mike Ashley. Why has it gone so disastrously wrong? At this beginning, he spent a bit of money, got Keegan back, it didn't work out, we all know how that ended. Is it just he just he just doesn't understand football? What is it? I think I think that's the, it's a really good question, that, because... I don't think he's deliberately set out to sabotage Newcastle United. I think the problem that Mike Ashley's had at Newcastle United has been the lack of care that he's had with Newcastle United. He's made some good decisions. He's appointed some people who actually you know, haven't been that bad. But the problem is that when you appoint somebody like Kevin Keegan and then you effectively undermine him within a few weeks by bringing in Dennis Wise, what did he think was going to happen? And it's that lack of care with people who were you know, really major figures in the club's history that I think has been, has been the big problem and it's created its own negative momentum. The, the uh, Paul Ferris book, uh, which everybody should read, by the way, because I think it's a really, really good book. Um, it's not really a kind of tell book, but there's a really interesting bit at the end talking about how Mike Ashley dealt with Kevin Keegan and it was almost like Mike Ashley, he actually says in the book, like, I, I liked Mike Ashley, you, you know, he seemed okay. And there's a really good story about him devouring a sandwich uh, in one go like he's never eaten before, which I think is, is, is quite, a, quite interesting because it kind of plays up to the Mike Ashley stereotype we've all got. But what, what I think is really interesting about that is he basically, he's appointed Alan Shearer at that point. He said that he wants Alan Shearer to stay. And then they basically ignore Alan Shearer for the next however long. I think Alan Shearer is still waiting to hear from Mike Ashley whether he's going to get the job at Newcastle United. 
that's the problem. It's these lack of it's the lack of details. It's the lack of care. It's not funding the thing properly. It's not bringing in the right people. You know, Lee, Lee Charney's had a lot of stick down the years at Newcastle United, and fair enough. You know, he deserved some of it. But at the same time, he is now currently the only senior executive at Newcastle United. It's a Premier League club. That they must be the only Premier League team that have got one person on the board. Yeah, I think Chris did the article. We've got what, seven or eight, maybe 11, 12, many more. But on Rafa Benitez's future, I think one key thing for me was there was a few under-23s released or being told they're going to be released then this season. That, to me, suggests he is planning for the future because he came out at the press conference on Friday and said, look, some of them aren't good enough. We've got to think about the future. What did you make of Rafa Benitez's like, take on that? Well, I think he had some input on it, but what I know is, is that a lot of them under-23s weren't signed by him. So, from what I understand, is he hasn't got complete control of the academy, uh, the under-23s. It seems to me like he, he's got first-team shout because he's got to look after the first-team first and foremost. But really, if you give him the full control of the entire club, then I think it would be a lot better all round. I watch the under-23s most games and, you know, the other night against Sunderland... It was a great result. A lot of the fans went down there. But really, you looked at that team and how many of them would would make the grade uh, in the first team. Maybe one, maybe two, but, but no more. And there's got to be more players coming through. Um, yes, he is planning for the future. He's always going to be scouting uh, well ahead. I think they've built their own scouting but now down at the training ground where there's constant data going through. But really, uh, for me, I think Rafa until he gets that full control, that full grasp of the club, it's never going to live up to the, the full potential. Do you think he'll be frustrated because when he first came in, one of the first things he said he wanted to do was to totally kind of revamp the training base. At the moment, he's, I think he's put a lick of paint on it. People keep saying mm. that's all his mind should do. That doesn't mean that investment he wanted at, at the academy, at the training ground. There's a lot of things behind the scenes which haven't been done, which he's been, obviously it's two years, isn't it, that he's now been yeah. here. A lot of things still haven't been done yet. I think, to be fair, he, he didn't think that those kind of things would happen overnight, but I think he probably wanted to see a little bit of a intention from the football club. And the problem that Rafa's had in the last 14 months is a lot of the things that he's asked for haven't, haven't happened. But having said that, the guy is working as hard as he can. And I, and I do think that whatever you think about all the kind of stuff that's going around off the field, Rafa has shown, I think, that he, he recognises how big the football club can be. And that is the thing that kind of gives me hope moving forward because I, I just don't think he's ready to give up on Newcastle United. I don't think he is ready to to sort of walk away. And I know people have talked about other clubs that could come in for him, you know. And, and obviously, if Arsenal came in from a club like that, then, then you know it, it, everything changes. But West Ham was mentioned at the start of the season, wasn't it? Everybody was saying West Ham were going to come in for him. But he's a smart man. He saw what was coming at, at West Ham, and for all that. Newcastle aren't necessarily giving him what he wants. The supporters are. And that's an absolutely massive thing because he knows he's worked against the backdrop of protest at Liverpool. Uh, no, sorry, no, not at Liverpool. Um, at uh, Real Madrid, at Chelsea. But he's worked with the fans at Liverpool and he knows how much easier it is and how this season really, for him in a lot of ways, has been a, a really pleasing one in, in a lot of aspects because the supporters listen to what he wants them to do. Um, we, you know, everybody is united and it means that games like Saturday where he knew that the atmosphere could be really tense and really edgy if it went wrong, actually it was really supportive and positive and it has been all season and 
don't underestimate how important that is to a manager who's worked against in cultures like Real Madrid, where he knew he wasn't going to. It was a toxic culture. It was a it was a nest of vipers there. At Newcastle, everybody is moving in the right direction, and I think that means something to him. I really do. What's it like working with Rafa Benitez? I know you. I think Chris got an interesting story about how he's showing you tactics with water bottles. Yeah. Oh, he's absolutely um, obsessed with football. You know, if you if you go along and, and and end up for ten minutes with with Rafa, you know, it'll turn into four and a half hours and him talking, to, you know, asking you how would you defend this corner? And um, yeah, I mean. The, 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 when we went down in the first international break, he had us, how would you defend this corner? How would you defend this corner? And you're sort of sitting there going, well, you're off of Benitez. I don't know, I don't know. You, you tell me, you tell me. But he wants you to, he wants you to sit there and, and, and go through the same processes that he goes through so you can kind of understand where he's coming from. And I just think he's, I mean, you know, there's the element of him being obsessed with football and being really good about football. But he's just a nice man. And I think that is a, you know, and I think a lot of what he does, a lot of what he does would look like PR if it was somebody like Alan Pardew or you know even Steve McLaren doing it. But with Rafa, you feel that it's genuine. You feel that he, he wants he wants to engage with the community. He wants to be there for the football club. I know Alex Hurst is here and he's done a couple of these True Faith events that I've done as well. And Rafa just donates donates days with him at the training ground to in, in aid of food banks for the raffle. Um, and you know those are the kind of things that. They just come naturally to him because he's a, he's a decent, dignified man. And, and I think that really ties up with what you can aspire Newcastle to be. You want it to be that kind of caring club. And he's the right man to do that. Did you manage to defend the corner? Uh, no, he, 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 he thinks that uh, English journalists know nothing about tactics. So I then proceeded, every single press conference I go to, I try and ask him a question about tactics. And you can see him thinking... Mate, that's not the right question to ask. Because um, he it was like the other week before Liverpool, I think he was asked about his tactics, and he said, um, and he said, oh well, you, you'll see. I'm sure your experts, I'm sure your pundits will will say will say what our uh, what our formation is. And uh, but yeah, and, and you just think he kind of like he sort of he's almost like sort of patting you on the head, going, well, you know, I know about tactics. Fair enough, you know, he does because he's proved that over the course of the season. Hasn't he? And he is a great character, isn't he? When you're in the press conference, I know sometimes there's either work experience kids come in or there's people who've maybe won prizes and he does, he interacts with, with, with the kids or with the work experience people and it's great to see because it is, it's rough up in the years, he doesn't have to. Yeah, he has got that, that aura about him, uh, you know, as you say there, previous managers, I mean, we were banned by Alan Pardew and Joe Kinnear for, for long periods so you don't get, you didn't get any level of insight from them because they just couldn't handle any criticism whereas the difference is with someone like Rafa Benitez He'll sit down and explain it. I mean, we're the evening paper. We're meant to get another, an extra five minutes with Rafa after each press conference. 55 minutes, 60 minutes, you still stood there talking to him. He's, and he genuinely has got you, you know, lining up against the near post or the far post and he's doing exercise and he's trying to explain everything around you, which the only other manager that I've uh, seen do that is uh, Sir Bobby Robson. So that's the type of character you've got at the club at the minute. and. You know, as I say, it's just frustrating. I think he's getting frustrated because he's not getting everything he wants. I'm starting to get a bit frustrated from where I'm standing because I think they're not making the most of what what they've got. And you can feel the supporters, you know, the support in the team, of course, but they know as well that, you know, the ones who've lived through the, the Keegan era and all that sort of stuff, they know the potential here. And, you know, at the minute, we're, we're nowhere near what we could be uh, and where we could be. 
So what changed? Obviously, we got relegated. He got what he wanted in that that summer. Went out, spent a bit of money. Come January, he wanted Andros Townsend. It didn't happen. It hasn't really happened since. Is it because Mike Ash has come back into the fold? Because him, because Benitez and Lee Charney had an excellent working relationship. They still might do, but it's something's changed in the was kind of in the last year. Yeah, I think I think what changed was maybe Mike Ashley decided that he wanted to sell the club and and pulling in the pulling in the uh, the, the belt straps as it is and, and and sort of saying, well, you know, we'll we'll spend what we what we get. Um, I think what changed was that he got Newcastle United back into he felt in January that Newcastle were back in the back on the way to the Premier League gravy train and he thought well we can do it on the cheap and and that's that is in my opinion what happened in January I think he said I need three extra players and the answer that came back was well you've got a winger who you're not using or you know why aren't you playing Daryl Murphy or, or or those kind of things and the problem with that is okay, there's maybe an economic argument for that. And we've seen it before with Newcastle where um, previous managers have gone and said, I need another striker. And they've said, well, you've got a striker there. You've got Adam Campbell or somebody like that. And it's like, yeah, okay, you've got a body, but it's not it's not somebody who's putting pressure on the first team. And Rafa is a guy who, I mean, he says he'd do, he'll do things for football reasons, but he'll also do them for football business reasons. And so he his idea is that, look, if you have bring in another goalkeeper as they have done now and they've got four goalkeepers that will push on the level of all the other goalkeepers and it, and it also may be that Martin Dubravka comes in and proves to be a bargain and, and his value goes up and I think the problem is that it's, it's been a club with Mike Ashley and Lee Charney there that, that does things for business reasons it does things well if you know do you need do you need that extra million do you need that extra two million and I think you've seen the cost of that because they had Townsend lined up I think Ruben Loftus-Cheek was involved as well. They would have had other players as well in, in that January. And if they'd have got all those players in, then they'd have had, A, they'd have done half of their business that they needed to do before the summer when all the prices went up. And they also wouldn't have needed, they also wouldn't have needed to go out and do some of the business that they ended up doing. You know, you could see Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Andros Townsend are both England internationals. Um, Kennedy, who we wanted in the summer, would have probably got if they'd have done other business, um, has ended up being really good if they had him all season. Where would they be? You know, I think. Sorry, this is a last point. I think they could have finished in the top ten. I think they could have potentially challenged for Europe this season if they'd have gone out and, and furnished him with the players that he wanted. Uh, and that's a missed opportunity for Newcastle United. And, and that's the worry, isn't it? That if they miss more and more of these opportunities, you know, the, the rest of the Premier League is going to catch up. Well, as crazy as the league is, I think they're only eight points off off Leicester. So you never know. Uh, top ten is very achievable. Just off our passports next season. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think we would have been saying that last week. <laughs> What a difference a week makes, but there is a frustration, isn't there? Because Benitez should have been able to build the foundation back in last January when he wanted Townsend, when he wanted Loftus Cheek. This summer again, build the foundations. Whereas we here in January, he's still he's still adding key elements to his team when really he should be kind of building the walls to the house, and he, the foundation should already be set. Well, they left it later. The owner was on holiday until I think the tenth of January. So what what chance has he got? So they eventually end up signing Slomani who's injured uh, right on the last day because that's all they could get because everything else was gone so uh, until they start taking his his, uh, his queries and his requests seriously that, that's what, how this football club gonna, is going to be because Mike Ashley's come out and he said it I'm, I haven't got the money that's what he's saying I haven't got the money to spend you're never going to be able to compete with the top six it's going to be very different again in the top 10. I admire your optimism on that one. Um, but, you know, if Newcastle scrape to safety this year, then 
for me, I think that's not, not quite manager the season uh, territory, but he's done an unbelievable job with what he's got because he's got every single ounce out of them players. And you know, you can see in the performances, they're working very hard. Uh, the second goal against Southampton, great example, Dwight Gale in his own box, sprints to sprints forward, Perez making that long busting run as well. And you know, the final product on that goal summed up uh, Rafa Benitez counter-attacking team and uh, I think you know that they are playing uh, they're playing well at the minute the only problem is, is they've got this three-week break the, the laugh is with that by the way what I think is really interesting about the players is that um, people who didn't understand what was going on in Newcastle United and you talked about some of the pundits earlier um, were saying that Rafa would lose the dressing room by coming out and, and saying that he wanted better players and that he wanted um, he wanted to add a bit of quality which completely misses the point because what Rafa Benitez is trying to do, and the players realise this as well, is he, is he is trying to get better players in and better quality in for the benefit of those players. Because they recognise that, look, if we don't get any players in, you know, we might be scrapping at the bottom. But if we get better players in, it makes us all better players. Because that's the message that Rafa's given them on the training ground. You know, he's not saying, you're not good enough. He's saying, as a team, we will get better. We will push on and we will, and we will improve. But we need to get that bit of that quality. And you can see that they're all for him. I mean, Lee's made a great point there about Gale's run. You know, Gale, every, Gale was available in the summer. We all knew that. He nearly went to Fulham. Um, he nearly went to Fulham again in, in, in January. He probably would have done if they'd have brought in another striker. But it doesn't mean that he's, he's given up on him. And I think that's the key. He's fair with all of those players. He was fair with Mitrovic. Um, and, you know, Mitrovic didn't respond in the way that he wanted him to, whereas Gale and, and others have. And, they've, and they're still in the team and still playing Premier League football. And Mitrovic as well as he's doing it at Fulham, he's not playing at Fulham. We'll get on to Mitrovic in a second because I feel a lot of people might have a question about him. But on my gosh, did you buy what he said uh, earlier last year about him not being able to compete? Because I think I did an article and he's, he still comes in the 8th or ninth most richest owner in the league. You know, he's not, <laughs> he's not a poor man. Yeah, but I mean, you have to respect the fact that he doesn't want to put his own personal fortune into the football club and I, and I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is that he is getting a lot out of the football club. I mean, I watched match of the day on Saturday and it never fails to amaze you how many sports direct billboards there are at Newcastle United. And it's, you know, it's a real... That, that's the problem, is that he wants it both ways. He wants to have the cachet and the profile that Newcastle United and St James's Park gives his brand. But he's saying, well, I'm not, I can't put any money in it. The club has to wipe its own nose. And, you know, which Alan Pardew used to say all the time to us, that's the problem. I don't have a problem with him not putting all of his money in, but at least give it a chance. And that's the problem. Of course, rumours that any deal with Stevie would incorporate the Sports Direct logos for two, maybe three years, which... Well, I think, the, I think if it meant getting rid of him, people would sort of think, OK, you know, we'll, 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 look, at those, we'll look at those billboards for a few more years, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, his, his brand has massively grown while he's been Newcastle United owner, there's no doubt about that. And that, that advertising is worth millions now. And to Mitrovic, just a show of hands, who thinks it was the right decision to send Mitrovic out on loan? So pretty much now everyone... Chris Watt's got his hand up. <laughs> Surprising. Uh, I think Lee did a story the other day about how he was given his chance. We just want to explain a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, uh, I've interviewed Mitrovic a few times and he's a really good guy uh, you, you watch him on the training field 
uh, in pre-season because we get a little bit of access in pre-season where we can see them and you know things look okay but then suddenly August comes and apparently he's not working as hard as, as Dwight Gale he's not working as hard as, as Hosselu when, when he come in um, then he gets the band doesn't he so apparently he's approached Rafa and says I'm working hard now and I'm giving everything and Rafa's like yeah but you're banned so I can't I can't use you so you know that band you know finishes and then the next thing you know Dwight Gale Hosselu they weren't they weren't doing too bad um, obviously this whole technology thing the data and that the, everything's getting recorded in training you know tackles headers um, you know aerial battles every, everything you, you can think of is all getting scored and Gale and Hosselu are, are finishing much further ahead than Mitrovic and then you know he misses eight games because he's complaining of a, a back injury and then the next thing uh, comes out in a Serbian newspaper and says he wants to leave so that's what Rafa Benitez has dealt with but you know, I, I know there might be people who think he should have been given a better chance, but I, I think he's had every opportunity to show it. Do you think there's a way back from him if he continues to score scoring for him? I know Rafa kind of jokingly said he had 20, 25 goals in the scene. Yeah, exactly. He's got, he's got six, seven, has he now? Yeah, exactly. um, so do you think there's a way back from him? You never rule anything out at Newcastle, to be honest. But uh, look, I think Rafa will, if he can get a price for him, he'll, he'll get rid of him. Um, and try and reinvest that in the team. Uh, there's bigger things going on at the minute. I think Rafa, it's, it's whether Rafa stays or not, is bigger than that. Mark, do you agree? Is, is, what, what's your opinion on Mitrovic? Is there a way back? There's no way back under Rafa because you can see that the team as it is is about the team, which sounds obvious, but it, but it is. And, you know, as well as he's doing at Fulham, it, Fulham aren't playing in a Rafa Benitez way. And you have to really make the decision, I suppose. Do you think that Newcastle should play in the way that Fulham play, or do you think they should play in the way that Rafa Benitez plays? For all that Fulham are doing really well in the second half of the season, by the way, they had a terrible start to the season. For all they're doing well in the, in the second part of the season, and for as well as they did last season, Newcastle finished a long way ahead of them last season. And it's it's about kind of playing the way that Rafa wants to play. I personally think that um, he will get the most out of whatever group that he's got, and I. I, I the full way of playing is fantastic, but I think they would find it more difficult to play that way in the Premier League. So I would say that if, if Rafa's here, nah, there's no chance. I think he's wanted rid of him for the best part of a year. And uh, if Newcastle had had any sense at all, they would have sold him or they would have found a way to replace him first and then sell him. And that, and that makes sense. It's another example of Newcastle thinking that they're, they're being smart and being cute, but actually doing the wrong thing. And... You know, effectively, Rafa carried a striker for the first half of the season, and that was just so stupid. They should have found a way to sell him, or found a way to loan him, or brought somebody else in, and then we would have had to have this debate over the course of the season. Um, just, well, just before Chris comes around with the microphone, if you've got any questions, even if we've kind of covered them already, don't be afraid to uh, ask them again. Three quick questions for both of you: um, Will Newcastle be in the Premier League next season? Will Rafa stay, and will there be a new owner? So, Premier League, yes. Absolutely. Rafa Stein. Possibly. I would, honestly, as it stands, I would say it's probably about 30, 70. In favour of him staying. Well, that he could go. A uh, new owner. Hopefully. <laughs> Leave. I think there's 
60-40 in favour of a new owner. Optimism, kind of right. <laughs> questions? Anyone got any questions for Lee Mark? Any hands going up? No? Anywhere? Raise, go on. Uh, you have to put the levels up. Oh, I don't do that. Uh, number four. Is it? Yeah. One, two, three. Technical uh, problems. That's working now. That's yeah. working now, right? Please. You can tell he's a journalist, <laughs> not a tech man. So yeah, just if you just put your hands up again for Chris to come and hand you the mic and I'll just say your question. By the way, just in case anyone listening at home didn't know that yet. Um, <laughs> you walk, you walk past the guy who had the cross. Oh, uh, oh, sorry. The first one I'll start off with uh, is Perez, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the fans criticise Perez every week. And the main, uh, like, Perez, when he starts, we've got 1.4 uh, points per game. He's better even than ourselves, right? And he gets a lot of stick. So when he starts the game, we've got 1.4 points. And I think he's very underrated in the team. But I'd like to know what you think, because, you know, when he doesn't play, we've got, we've got 0.4 points a game. Well, I think Perez, first of all, was an absolute bargain they got. It was one of the, the few. Um, you know, I think it was actually, it wasn't a Graham car sign. I think it was actually Lee Charmley pushed that one through. And he, it's the one he got right, I think. 1.5 uh, million for him. Uh, I think he is a little bit underrated. I think he's now playing under a manager who can genuinely make him a better player. I was speaking to him after the game the other day and he said, it's not just about me scoring goals, it's about making contributions not necessarily assists, coming back in the box, making a little clearance like he did, making that run which opened everything up. I think he's a good player, I think he's been linked with some bigger clubs in the past, I think Tottenham were were keen on him, I think Pochettino thought he could really work with him and and get something out of him, I think he's a very good player Uh, and he'll only get better under someone like Rafa and he's a a great case in point that Rafa can get that extra ounce out of players and he's definitely one of them and for him to play under such you know tragedy uh, circumstances with his grandma dying the other day, uh, just shows you how committed he is to, to Newcastle United. Mark, do you share those, those sentiments on Perez? Yeah, I think what's really interesting about Perez is that he's definitely playing a different role under Rafa uh, because he was kind of more of a striker, wasn't he? He, he was more of a forward than, he, than he's playing at the moment. Um, he's kind of playing in that number 10 role, but he's actually doing a lot of work. He's doing a lot of uh, a lot of hard yards sort of filling in because Rafa's all about the shape so I think he's, he's really worked on Perez off the ball and, and you have to really salute guys like Perez and Richie and, and even Gale as well because you know they could have gone somewhere else and probably like Mitrovic is doing now got you know got a lot of love and, and, and a lot of a lot of profile for, for them actually playing well because I think Perez would potentially score 10 to 15 goals in the championship no problem but not in the role that he's playing. He'll never score a lot of goals in the, in, in, the, in the role that he's playing, but he's being really unselfish in the way that he's playing. And it takes a special kind of player to, to want to do that when you're a number 10. Rafa said that he, he, he's had silver before, of course, and he said he was a number 10 who was kind of the brains of the team who could pick passes and could dictate the play. He knows that Perez isn't that kind of player, but he knows that Perez will do exactly what he asks of him. So, like you said, the fact that they're better with him in the team tells you everything. Chris? Share that. Yeah, I do share that view. I think that Rafa, when he talks about Perez, he regularly talks about his intelligence. He says that he does things that a lot of it, which is unseen, but the runs that he does off the ball, releases his teammates. Uh, he really is that link man between the front one, as it usually is, and the, and the midfield. And he almost becomes the, the second striker away from home defensively. 
particularly Breen at home as well. He, he is the, the second striker, almost four four two defensively, and a lot of the unseen work he does do. And I think that he has that intelligence which makes Newcastle that little bit better. Yes, he, he probably would himself admit he'd like to score a few more goals, maybe get a few more assists, but his work rate is so high up there, and Rafa certainly values him. Grand, any more questions? I think you two had hands up. Hi, Emma. Does do you think Rafa's future? Is dependent on the takeover, or do you think there's any way in which he stays and works for Mike Ashley ahead of the, well, beyond the summer? I think I think he could potentially work with him if if he gets all the money that he, that he thinks they would be due from the TV deal, um, which I think, to be fair to Mike Ashley, probably would. I mean, if, if he's true to his idea that um, the club has to basically make its own money, then I think he would. I think he, he probably would stay. And have another crack at that, but it'll depend on who comes in for him. Because while he didn't go to West Ham, you know, if Everton had maybe made the approach, would he have would he have been interested potentially? I mean, you know, there's a lot of clubs out there that look, will potentially look at the job that he's done and say, well, we'll go in for it. I don't think it's impossible that he wouldn't that he wouldn't um, that he wouldn't stay under Mike Ashley. Um, but having said that, I think it, the one thing that I would say is I don't think he'll fancy doing this job. That he's done this year again because it's you know I, I sort of read a piece this you know like yesterday that was saying he keeps talking about what he did at Extra Tomorrow sorry in Spain and uh, I pronounced that really badly uh, but uh, yeah he keeps mentioning the job that he did keeping them up and he did but you know he's, a, he's an older and wiser manager now and he did the Champions League a few years ago so that's where he kind of wants to be as a manager and he, he'd at least need to see some sign of a progression Newcastle are, are trying to make it sign a new contract but I don't, I don't think he's anybody's mug I don't think he'll I don't think he'll sign a new contract until he sees either a bit of ambition or a new owner just on that trying to get him to sign a new contract doesn't look likely at the moment but when he agreed to stay on after the talks Mike Ashley and the whole helicopter landing he said I've got the assurances that I wanted and then come the end of the summer it didn't really happen what do you think happened there was it a miscommunication between the two or did Mike actually promise something and he didn't give it? What, what, what do you think was the case? Well, I think in the last three windows he hasn't been given what he asked for. And I think some of the cases, he, you know, what he was told didn't really transpire. And I think that's, you know, it's to Newcastle's disadvantage. And the sad thing is, is that, you know, we've got an owner there who, you know, don't want to labour the point, but I don't think he knows what he's, what he's got at Newcastle and, you know, he doesn't go to the games. He obviously sits in on these meetings. We get told that he's taking a back seat, um, but then when you, when you, as a journalist, when you do try and find something out, and you go to uh, people at the club and you ask what's going on, no one seems to be able to say anything until they've, they've got to Mike Ashley, and then you've got situations where he's on holiday for the first ten days of January. So, for all sometimes we get people saying you're in Ashley's pocket. Nothing could be further from the truth, really, because. Really, he doesn't want to say anything. He doesn't want to do any interviews unless it's with Sky, of course. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's it, it's very difficult to get information from Mike Ashley and, and any stories you do see coming out have come from other sources. And of course, I think we've got about twelve thousand requests in to get an interview with Lee Charlie. Yeah, I mean, well, we we we've got a long-standing request um, with Newcastle for, he did for promise one at one point he did um, about, was it in the summer in between the 2016, 2016 yeah he said that he would do something on the record we're still waiting um, 
it would be a good opportunity that the accounts are going to come out in a few weeks and it would be a really good opportunity for him to come out and talk. I understand that he doesn't want to talk about things that he can't have any control over, so stuff like the takeover, but you know, somebody has to tell us at some point what is going on in the terms of the future of the football club, but it says a lot about the way that the clubs run, that there isn't actually anybody who can tell you. I mean, there's how many different issues are kind of floating around at the moment? We've got, you know, a very high profile member of the coaching staff is, you know, there's currently a, um, an inquiry going into what's going on there, and we haven't heard anything about it yet. It's not just that, is it? There's there's Rafa's contract. There's um, Justin Barnes. Trent, Justin Barnes. What's, what 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 is he doing at the club? Um, yeah, I mean that, that's that's the biggest question, and we've put that to Newcastle three or four times. Is Justin Barnes a member of Newcastle United staff? What is his role? Does he have any Does he have any say whatsoever in football matters? And um, you know they won't clarify that to us. And, and you know if you actually put the question to to Newcastle United, they will basically you know you get passed around or you just get you just don't get told him. That's not that's not the people who we deal with at Newcastle United who are when they can tell us stuff, they are absolutely brilliant. And you've seen a lot of examples I think of Newcastle when they get the opportunity, when they have control over what what's going on at Newcastle, they do they do, do things really, really well. You can see it. I mean, you know, the way that they've worked with first Gallagate flags and now war flags has been really good. But that's the people on the ground who feel that they have some control over it. There's a lot of things at Newcastle, basically all the important stuff, the people who work for Newcastle United don't have any control over. And that's the problem um, that we find as well, because the people that we deal with, who are the good ones, in my opinion, are do not have the control over, they can't tell us what's going on with things like Rafa, things like the takeover, because it, it, it's a very small number of people who aren't, don't work in Newcastle, aren't, here aren't part of the community and part of the city who are dealing with those matters and I think that makes them take a lot of wrong decisions. Just before we get to the final few questions, obviously Bob Moncur now so he's no longer part of the board. Is that significant in any way, do you think? Well, to be honest, I think for quite a while now uh, Bob hasn't been on, on the board at Newcastle, so I don't really I think that was just the um, company's house announcement just happened to come out the other day. I think really there's there's not really a board at Newcastle. There's one one man, real man call, calling the shots and that's that's Mike Ashley. That's where every inquiry, every request eventually ends up on his desk. So, you know, there is no board. And are we got another question? I think you had a hand up there, anybody else? Or well, we just answered this? No no questions? Anybody? Simon, did you say you had another one? Yeah, well, uh, yeah feel free. One of my main grouses when Ashley took over, we're, we're finished only five points above uh, relegation, and we're 120 million, 129 million pound in debt. You know, he was taking over a team, a club, which was getting relegated, and had 129 million pound for the debt. And all of them are stand, right? the stands and everything. He's had a lot, you know, a lot of criticism, and I, I honestly believe that he's put all the money that the club has. In, in the in, in the transfers and everything because I, I, I get the accounts, I look at the bank ones, there's hardly anything left. Yes, he should put more money in, but um, the way he views it is that he's um, free up. He, he, you know, he's got an interest-free loan which saves about eight million pound a year from Barclays. We're paying about eight million pound a year to Barclays, and you know he, he views it. He's getting a bit free free advertising, you know. Mm. And I look at the situation in Sunderland, and I think. At least he's, you know, he's tried to 
uh, turn the club around when he got relegated, yeah. and he gets now he's not as bad as uh, Ellis Short and that. Man. Yeah. No, I think there's no doubt that you know you look at other football clubs, Leeds, yeah. Sunderland, Blackburn. You know, it's not all completely negative when it comes to Mike Ashley. The biggest issue is that he's not making the most of the potential and he seems to have been obstructive and on certain issues like the Alan Shearer situation, like the Keegan, basically anything he seems to uh, feel he can rub the fans up the wrong way, he seems to have taken that option rather than, than talk about it. And then when you do try and challenge it, or you try and get him to sit down and answer questions, it's very difficult to get him to do that. So after 11 years, I think he at least owes them. And maybe he would answer questions, some of the questions and you know justify some of the things you're saying but I think there's a there's a lot there's a lot to, to be answered so so yeah it, it, you know the lead Sunderland example it, it is a good one. Chris your take on that? Is that what you chair Yeah I think I think that there is a lot to be said in terms of that Mike Ashley could in some ways have, have let Newcastle turn into what Sunderland are becoming or a lot of other clubs have done yes he, did, he didn't take that option Newcastle have twice come back up to the Premier League uh, having been in the championship with Premier League budgets, yes, he stripped everything back the first time Newcastle went down, so there's nothing left to strip in terms of uh, personnel and whatnot behind the scenes. But in terms of last year, Rafa Benitez had a Premier League budget. That's what what he had in the championship. He was able to keep a lot of players on big wages, John Joe Shelby and the likes. And so he has, in some ways, bolstered Newcastle in that way. And yes, he has cleared the debts, albeit that there's an interest free loan to him. But at the same time, I also think. Um, that in terms of being able to, to grow and being able to realise what Newcastle could become, I don't think it would have needed significant investment. I don't think he's necessarily used money wisely in some ways. The one summer where they did spend a lot of money under Steve McLaren, it didn't work. It should have been invested earlier. And so the points that held back and then when they eventually put the money in, uh, they were almost trying to cover the, the tracks they didn't cover before and, and done it incorrectly. So. I just think that after 11 years, it's in his interest and the club's interest to move on. He doesn't want to put any more money in. That's fine. That's his prerogative. But at the same time, I think hopefully he can get someone in who does have a vision for how they can build the club because I just don't think Ashley has an idea of how he can progress them forward. And if he was to stay, it would almost be a constant struggle relegation, if not relegation. And you can't always bounce back from what they have done the two times before. Fantastic. Uh, Mark, you share that sentiment or...? Not really, no. Um, I've got to be honest. Not, no, no offence, Chris. I, I, Mike Ashley's been the owner of Newcastle through a period of unprecedented largesse in Premier League football. This is a, a period where teams are breaking their transfer record every year. Huddersfield, uh, Bournemouth, you know, these clubs are now on a level playing field with Newcastle United. And, you know, the one constant through all that time is Mike Ashley. I do agree that. They could have been Leeds, they could have been Sunderland, they could have, but those aren't, you know, those are situations, in my opinion, where the owners, I mean, they, they behaved catastrophically. I mean, they're the worst owners. We shouldn't aspire to Newcastle United. He doesn't deserve credit for not being, um, for not being a kind of Peter Ridsdale, you know. I mean, that's the minimum you should expect from him. And I do see what you're saying in terms of, he, he's, you know, he's put a lot of money in and an interest-free loan, but... So he's had to cover a lot of the costs from making his own mistakes and on top of that as well he's also caused a lot of the problems that he's had to then he's had to then go and, and, and sort out because you know there's been so many occasions where Newcastle could have done the right thing they've done the wrong thing and then Mike Ashley's had to clean up his own mess yes he funded them in the championship last season and he 
funded them in the championship at the time when they were there before, but Newcastle United shouldn't be in the championship, in my opinion. And they weren't in the championship from 92 until um, 2008, you know, I mean, that was, that was a long period. They were established in the Premier League and then suddenly Mike Ashley comes in, makes some bad decisions and they're in the re being relegated to the championship twice in, um, in seven years. So, you know, I, I just, I can't really defend anything in terms of his overall strategic kind of mission at Newcastle United. There's little things that you could say they've done okay in and they've done quite well in, but... You know, the biggest problem for Newcastle United, I think, is Mike Ashley at the moment. And if he goes, they've got a chance. Right, well, um, thank you very much for coming out and joining us. If you go to chroniclelive.co.uk, keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news, including the, uh, the mini break over the weekend, which all been well. Chris and Lee will be over there covering. Um, yeah, thank you very much for coming out. It's much appreciated. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe and share the podcast, whether that be through iTunes, Audio Boom, Spotify or whichever platform you may be listening through. And if you want to get involved with the podcast, you can do so via our social media channels. We're over on Twitter at Chronicle NUFC and on Facebook at the same handle, Chronicle NUFC. We want your questions, your topics, your feedback. So why don't you drop us a line and get in touch? Hi, it's Finn Dwyer from the Irish History Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. While you're staying at home, I would recommend another great show that's worth checking out. It's Unexplained by Richard McLean Smith. It's a beautifully produced and gripping show that looks at unusual and sometimes unnerving occurrences from the past and present. It's perfect escapism. Check out Unexplained on the ACAST app or wherever you get podcasts.